Have you had this conversation? A Tone Networks podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Have You Had This Conversation. I am your host, Gemma Toner, and I am thrilled to welcome today's guest, Joyce Martyr. Joyce is a licensed psychotherapist with over 25 years of experience, as well as an entrepreneur, an author, hold on, there's more, national speaker, and mental health thought leader. She also has her book, The Financial Mindset Fix, a mental fitness program for an abundant life, explores the connection between mental and financial health, and has been featured in Business Insider, Thrive Global, Forbes, and so much, so many more periodicals. I must tell you, it is a must read. It is easy to read. It's enjoyable to read. And everyone listening, you know, go get it. Uh, Joyce regularly contributes to Psychology Today, and her work has appeared in U.S. News and World Report, CNN, and the Wall Street Journal. And I just cannot tell you how grateful I am that you are here today to share with us your story and really just help us understand why we feel the way we do when it comes to our finances, our personal finances. So I'm so excited to have this conversation. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Gemma. I so appreciate you and Tone Networks and all that you do to support women. And I think we're so aligned. So I'm excited for this conversation. You know, you are right. We really are. It's just, and it's so wonderful to be able to bring this information to all of us women who oftentimes just don't have time and with without judgment, you know, with that this idea that we can do this and no shame, because so often, you know, especially when it comes to finances, you know, there's that stuff in your head that gets in the way. So let's start with let's learn a little bit more about you and, you know, tell us how you got started on this. Tell us about yourself and how these words, those worlds rather, of psychology and money came together for you. Well, I'm super passionate about removing the shame and stigma from both financial struggles and mental health struggles. And I love supporting women in shifting our belief systems and the way that we process our emotions and the way that we communicate in order to really cultivate an abundant life a life that includes mental well-being and connected relationships, work-life balance, and financial prosperity. So my story started out, I was at Ohio State University, didn't know what I wanted to major in, but knew I wanted to be of service to others and really care about the connections between all of us, about our emotional experiences, our relationships, and how we're all interconnected in the world around us. And so I became a therapist, which I have loved more than I can express. I found my work to be emotionally, spiritually, relationally, extremely rewarding. And it has been such an honor now to have counseled thousands of clients and to really learn from them and their life experiences. And so it was through my work with my clients that I started to notice this really powerful connection between mental health and financial health. And I'm also an entrepreneur. I founded, built, and sold Urban Balance, which is a national outpatient mental health company. And I made a thousand mistakes. And I looked at myself and realized I had 
money issues that were very closely tied to my self-esteem issues. And I had to do my own work in my own therapy and in my own coaching and personal development and really shift my financial mindset. So I love spreading what I've learned from counseling clients as well as my own journey with others. You know, you're so amazing to share that, right? Because I think there's so many of us that perhaps feel that way, but it's really hard to say it out loud again, because of the shame, because of the fear, because of not really knowing, you know, kind of what to do. So can you talk to us a a little bit more about, you know, the, your book, the financial mindset fix, can you explain to us, you know, how, I think intuitively we know there's something emotional occurring (laughs) for us all when it comes to our finances, but can you bring some clarity to that so we better understand it? Yeah. So we, we know that the basics of money management really isn't rocket science, right? We know we need to earn more than we spend and we need to save and invest for the future, but it's just like we are with nutrition or exercise. We know what to do, but we cause self-sabotage and self-limitation because we're human, we're imperfect, and we all have our own psychology of money. So our belief systems that maybe we've gotten from our parents or our cultures or religious teachings that shape our financial reality. We in according to cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the most empirically supported forms of therapy, it asserts that our thoughts precede our emotions and behaviors. So if we have negative or fear-based or scarcity mindset thinking about finances, that's going to cause us financial harm. I've, as a therapist, developed a very healthy respect for self-fulfilling prophecy in terms of what we think we become. And so I really like helping people shift their thinking with proven techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy, and then help us manage our emotions around money, the shame, maybe anger, maybe guilt, maybe anxiety. I suffered from horrible financial anxiety when my business was doing poorly. I had insomnia and panic attacks. And like you said, people don't talk about money and it is embarrassing, but I had a really horrible work experience where I ended up in cash flow hell and my business partner left. And I thought I was going to have to file business bankruptcy and it broke me open. And I ended up becoming, having more humility and asking for help. And then help came out of the woodwork. So my book is based on 12 mindsets that I've identified through my clients and my own journey that lead to holistic success. And they're empirically supported to improve both mental health and financial health. So it's a program with exercises like journaling prompts and cool exercises from psychology and these fun wheel exercises that I created to help us measure things like our self-care how well we're accessing support, how well we're practicing mindfulness or cultivating an abundant mindset. And I love hearing that people are completing these exercises with their partners. They're sharing them with their young adult children. And so I'm not a financial expert. This isn't a book about investing or anything like that. It's it's about changing the way that you relate to money about your boundaries and your financial relationships? Are you communicating with your partner? 
Are you, are you giving your kids roots and wings or are you somehow enabling them? Or are you experiencing some financial infidelity in your relationships? And I really help people empower themselves to take the reins of their financial life and take responsibility and take action, access support, and foster both mental and financial resilience. As I said, everyone go get this book because it really is a great read. And and just to tease everyone, can we talk a little bit about some of those topics that you certainly cover in your book? Um, And uh, let's pick a couple, you know, just the idea of these, you know, when you first started talking about abundance and the mindset, it almost seems mystical and magical. But then you actually start to say, and here's the how, here's how you do it. And it's science-based. There's nothing magical or mystical about this in some ways, right? There's This is a practice like you would practice yoga. So can we start with, you know, let's talk about how one begins to practice that mindset. You're right. This is a practice and these are skills that we need to develop. And we're human. None of us is perfect. So it's a work in progress. But the 12 mindsets include compassion, presence, self-love, which is one of the important ones I think we should talk about, support, detachment, which is another interesting one, resilience, and more. And you're right. These are skills that we need to stay mindful of and continue to cultivate. I've had some people say that my book kind of has some of the laws of attraction sort of spirituality or magic that you referred to, but it's mm-hmm. different because it's rooted in taking responsibility and taking right action, you know, doing the steps, doing the work. I give very practical tips and advice on how to create transformative change. The book is really focused on finances, but it also will help you with your self-worth, with your relationships, your career vision, Really, it's a holistic plan and program to developing wellness in your life. Right. And and as you said before, this is based on cognitive behavioral therapy. This is, you know, tried and true. So so let's first talk about, because I think there's some people that may not have ever experienced CBT. And, you know, that's something that maybe you and I can, you know, talk a little bit about too, like what to expect and even practice a bit together, perhaps. So let's first talk about, uh, one of the subjects you said, let's make sure we we discuss, which is self-love. Yes. So something interesting that I noticed in my practice was as my clients started to make progress in therapy, they started to transform in other ways that weren't directly related to what we were talking about. So they're coming in for depression, anxiety, relationship issues. And over time, they're standing differently. They're taking care of themselves differently. They're blossoming. They're looking more beautiful, more put put together. And they're reporting changes in their financial health. They're getting promotions. They're expanding in their careers. They're going back to school. They're buying their homes and cars. And I was like, why is this financial health thing happening when we're treating anxiety and depression? And then I realized it's because in therapy, we're always working on our relationship with ourselves and embracing our worth. And when we embrace our worth and we're all innately worthy, then we 
change our lives. We put ourselves out in the world with more confidence, more assertiveness, more negotiation. We're willing to take risks and expand our comfort zone instead of making our life small and safe. And so cognitive behavioral therapy helps us to change the way that we talk about ourselves. We all have that inner critic, that voice in our head that puts us down constantly. And so I recommend mindfulness strategies like naming your inner critic and imagining that that's a person in your life that's putting you down and you're telling them to step aside and instead learning how to be your own good parent, your own, you know, that make sure your health and your nutrition and your, your exercise is supporting you, that you are self-affirming, you're, you're advocating for yourself and believing in yourself in the world. And you're practicing self-compassion. Like I was upset with myself that I got myself in that financial pickle, but part of growth and learning is failure and mistakes. And so it's, it's okay. We're all on a journey. And when we take the time to really cultivate self-love, it shifts our relationships. We attract relationships both at home and at work where we're respected and loved and supported. And if we don't really believe in ourselves, we attract the opposite. So that's probably my favorite thing to help my therapy and coaching clients with. And it's it's the most important and the most life-changing And I really had to work on that myself. So can we practice like, so if I were your client or, you know, I know this isn't a session, but, you know, how would someone start to really practice that, that self-love, you know, where would you say, you know, I think what I heard you say is name that fear, give it a name, give it a person. Is it a person or it could be a thing? Name your inner critic or your inner saboteur. I've named mine Zelda. Zelda. So, oh, okay. So every time I hear myself say negative statements, like, wow, you really screwed that up, or you just said the dumbest thing ever, or you look terrible, you look fat, um, which, you know, women, we always say horrible things. I'm in my fifties, I'm aging. So when mm-hmm. Zelda puts me down, <laughs> I, even my family members will point it out to me a little bit like, mom, that sounds like Zelda. Um, and it, I said that to a bustle journalist and she thought it sounded interesting. She did it for a week and took notes and she brought it to her own therapist and said it really alleviated her depression. And she became so aware of how destructive that force is in my book. I also have a self-care wheel or self-love wheel. And each spoke is a different aspect of self-love. Some of them are the physical aspects, like, are you hydrating enough? Are you moderating your substance use? Some are lifestyle, like work-life balance. Are you connecting with nature? And you measure yourself on how well you're doing with self-care. With CBT, whenever you make self-limiting statements, I can't, I won't, I'm not, I don't. Those are belief systems that are often irrational and they're making your world small. So in with my therapy clients, I have them reframe that to, I am, I will, I must, or whatever it might be because of that belief in self-fulfilling prophecies. So it's about identifying those negative belief systems and restructuring them. 
And just to repeat, so everyone remembers these, because I think they're such great examples and we all learn, many of us learn through examples. I am, I will, I can. What was, there was one more. I do. I do, I do, right? And just as an example, instead of I can't, I won't, I will, you know? Um, it's just great to have what the the other side of it is so that you don't have to think too hard. It becomes second nature when you catch yourself, you know? So I love hearing you share that with us so we can practice it over and over and over again. So, you know, let me just ask, does one thing, does prosperity come, does it lead to happiness or is it the other way around? You know, is it, I feel like it's a chicken or the egg, you know, what is it? I think our materialistic culture teaches us that money brings happiness and money brings worth. But I can tell you that I've counseled people with hundreds of thousands of dollars, or sorry, hundreds of millions of dollars and people with nothing. And money does not bring happiness. What happens is when we, I believe love is the currency of life. When we work on our love for ourselves and our love for others, and we align our unique gifts with a need in the world, we welcome prosperity. So it's about identifying our unique gifts, our core values, aligning our work with that, and really expanding ourselves personally, professionally, spiritually to the greatest extent possible. And so making sure you're not setting your own limits, even financially. I remember early on in my career, I set benchmarks of what I wanted to earn. And I usually made those benchmarks, but not more. So sometimes I think, especially for women, we ask for just enough. We don't want to be greedy or selfish, but when we have more, we can help more. We can be of service to others in a greater way. So welcoming prosperity really isn't greedy or selfish or bad if you are in the spirit of generosity and philanthropy. Right. And I can do more. And certainly I can share, there's plenty of mistakes I've made. And that's certainly one of them asking for enough, you know, and being concerned quite frankly about the other person's perception. I don't want to be greedy as opposed to, um, imagining, right? And seeing I can do so much more, right? We're socialized to be people pleasers. We don't ask for enough. We caretake others. And it's a disservice to ourselves and to our daughters and our mentees and to other women when we don't value ourselves. And we're still getting paid 79 cents on the dollar that men are are being paid. And we'll apply for positions that they're really not qualified for. And women won't even apply for positions that maybe have one skill set that maybe they still need to develop. And so we're we're not honoring our worth. And that's so something we've got to practice. So true. You know, know thy worth, right? Know your worth. And yes, that stat is so true. We know we, we, we you know, let's talk about self-sabotage, right? You know, we may not have one particular skill set that's on that job description and we just count ourselves out you know and i think uh when i hear that i always think you know there's a lot we can learn from men too you know good on for them you yes. know hey take a chance you know and it's it's really that expansive thinking right that you're suggesting you know get out there you know yes. get wide you know give yes. it a try 
And, and I, I agree about having men as mentors. I have a balance of men and women as mentors. And my male mentors have been pretty tough on me at different points and, and have expanded my thinking. In fact, one of the first times that I was asked to do some out-of-state speaking, I didn't know how to set my fee. So I asked my colleague, Ross, who's an author and speaker, and Ross gave me his rate and it was way higher than I would have ever said, but I borrowed his self-esteem and I gave that rate and the company said, great, where do we send the check? How do we pay you? And I called Ross back and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm getting paid this amount for speaking for 45 minutes. And he said, 45 minutes, I gave you my full day rate. And he was really, he was kind of mad, <laughs> but you know, there you go. The most you get is what you ask for. And when we embrace our worth, we also shine the light for others to do the same. And, and it is about asking. I think that's another challenge as we, you know, practice and learn more about self-love and you talked about it too, in your personal journey, it's, it's asking and whether that's asking for money whether that's asking for help. Can you, why, especially as women, are we so afraid and so on our back heel to ask? Well, most of us are dealing with clinical burnout right now as a result of the pandemic and overwork. We've been living through a global trauma. And I give webinars across the country for different corporations. And when I poll people, 95% of attendees say that they are in need of more emotional support. People are not receiving the support that we need and deserve. So that comes from a lot of different things. Barriers to support are difficulty trusting, difficulty being vulnerable. Sometimes we've received life messages that asking for help is a sign of weakness. We might some of it might be ego or pride. Like I didn't seek proper business consultation before I ended up in a financial pickle because I was afraid somebody would tell me that my dream business wasn't going to work. And mm -hmm. so we let fear get in our way. So we need to really nurture our support network like a garden. And I have a support wheel exercise in my book where you basically identify who provides you with which types of support. And get specific about asking the right people for the support that they're capable of providing and just getting in the practice of that, recognizing when our battery is low and when we need certain kinds of support might be logistical support like childcare or dog walker or meal prep, or it might be spiritual support or community. So we do all ha have to get better at that. I have not been good at it as a caretaker and I had to learn the hard way by experiencing real burnout. And I noticed someone said to me, if you don't ask for help, you're being a good karma hog. And so when I've gotten better about asking for help, people are happy to help. It feels good to be of service to others. And if you're the one always giving to others, you're going to end up exhausted and depleted and resentful. You're so right. And it is such a gift to be able to help someone. And, you know, more often than not, I mean, certainly we've all asked for help and the person has said, I'm sorry, I can't help you. Right. I mean, that happens occasionally, but more often than not, it doesn't. And it is so 
invigorating uh, to one, be the person that you might be able to help someone, but also to be the receiver of it also makes you just want to pay it forward, you know, and it just makes, makes you feel so much better. Talk about self-love about yourself and that concept of abundance and that it is not simply uh, a, a kind of spiritual thing. It's actually a science, it's based in science and it's based on this practice and this technique, you know, which again, I find so fascinating. Can we just go back to one other thought, uh, idea that you had highlighted for us, which is detachment. It feels passive in some ways. Yes. And what does it mean? So detachment is a mindfulness practice and it's the ability to cultivate healthy separation from our own negative emotions. And it's not denial. It's I, our emotions are feelings of they're waves of energy that we experience in the body. And they're a normal response to our nature and our nurture and our life experiences. So we want to honor them and practice self-compassion, but we don't want our emotions like anger or fear to eclipse us and sort of paralyze us. And so through detachment, by practicing mindfulness, like meditation and deep breathing and yoga, connecting with nature, having moments for stillness, we can develop the ability to observe our emotional process so that we can respond consciously rather than react defensively. And we can also use detachment to have healthy separation from others. I have a blended family of kids between 17 and 26. So I have loads of opportunity for detachment, which is really you're being empathic and loving, yet you're not absorbing the problems of others. You're observing them and not absorbing any negativity or toxicity and having healthy boundaries in the relationship rather than maybe codependent boundaries where you overfunction, which I think a lot of women we tend to do. So we can also detach from expectations and outcome because if we pin our happiness on, like if I get this promotion and I make 10,000 more a year, then I'll be happy. If that doesn't happen, then we're disappointed and frustrated. So it's it's about cultivating a mindset of really honoring emotions, but not letting them eclipse your joy and your functioning in the world. So when my business, I thought I was going to have to file bankruptcy. It was the hardest time in my life. I do use detachment skills like compartmentalization. Like if I thought about my debt or my bills all the time, I'd be paralyzed. And so I had to kind of shrink that mentally and put it in a container, put it on the back burner so I could put one foot in front of the other and save my company and my life. <laughs> and uh, without detachment, I think I would have been very overwhelmed and thrown in the towel. And, and I, uh, thank you so much for sharing that example, because that was actually going to be my next question, which is, can you give us examples of how, like that was very visual to say, you know, you shrunk that fear and of all of that and put it in the box and put it away. Are there other visualizations you can help give us and give us examples of so that we can begin to practice, you know, that shrinking and put it into a box or some other ideas on that front? Yes. So one of them is to imagine that you're surrounded by white light or a pink bubble or simply a plexiglass shield 
when you're in an interaction with somebody who is maybe toxic or experiencing extreme negative emotions. I saw an example of this when I was at Target. The woman in front of me was really rude to the cashier. She was even swearing at him. And he remained completely calm and professional and was nice to her. When it got to be my turn, I said, I'm so sorry that woman was so horrible to you. And how'd you do that? You were amazing. You didn't even get your feathers ruffled at all. And he said, oh, I don't let anyone in my head who isn't paying rent. Like, how smart is that, right? And that is detachment. It's a skill. Like he was like, okay, lady, you're having a bad day. I'm not going to get my horns locked and attach and fight with you. I'm just going to let you do your thing and I'm going to stay fine. I'm not going to let you upset me or stress me out. I'm going to behave in a way that I have personal integrity and feel at peace. Can you give us any sense of how long it takes to do that sort of seamlessly? So is it, does it become just like second nature, the more you practice these visualizations or all these skills I'm still working on after 25 years of being a therapist and being in therapy myself on and off. (laughs) And, and so it's, we're, we're human, we're imperfect, but I think for me, parenting, uh, my, my older sister, Paula came to visit when my kids were three years old and a newborn and the three-year-old had a huge temper tantrum. And I was embarrassed because my sister's a really great parent with, you know, quote unquote, perfect children. And so I got in a little fight with my three-year-old and who do you think won? She won. I read her like 10 stories trying to get her to bed. And Paula said, you need to detach. She said, you locked horns with your three-year-old. And she's like, (laughs) and I realized I did that because of going back to CBT. The negative thought that I had about myself was if my kid is rolling on the floor and having a temper tantrum at bedtime, then I'm a bad mom. And that belief system made me feel anger and shame and anxiety. And then I acted like a bad mom. I was impatient and frustrated. Whereas if I just detached, like I I saw a friend of mine the next week at the nursery school and she was holding her toddler who was freaking out and flailing and yelling. And she looked at me and she goes, Hey Joyce, how's it going? And I was like, Oh my gosh, Laura's not feeling like a bad mom. She's just got a toddler and she's not taking it personally. And so I've had a lot of life lessons that have taught me these skills and I have to still remind myself of them. And we're, we're human. We're not perfect. Right. I I thank you for sharing, like for saying that we're not perfect. It does take a life to really get this down, if you will. So just, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to run out of time and there's so much to talk about. If, if I were to ask you off the top of your head, you know, how would you define success? Because we are talking about, you know, ourselves and money, you know, how would you define success? I believe success is to live life authentically and open, openly and lovingly in alignment with the highest good for ourselves and others and to the greatest extent possible. So help me understand that, you know, that, that so, so eloquently said, you know, what does that mean to you in examples again? So to live authentically means to be real in your relationships and to be vulnerable and to be imperfect. I love the work of Brene Brown in that area. And then to be open is, you know, open-minded, open to other 
ways of looking at things and gaining the insight and perspective from mentors and coaches and therapists and others so that we are more aware and then really aligning our gifts with a need in the world, both personally and professionally. I think that brings joy when we're of service and we're connected in a way that has purpose and meaning. And to the greatest extent possible is when we grow and we have personal and professional development, that has a ripple effect in our families, in our communities, in our workplaces, and it lifts everybody up. So having our personal responsibility to do our work rather than kind of keeping our life simple and small and unconscious. So that's why I hope people will work my program and find the insights and the benefits to doing some work on yourself. It really can transform your life. It really can. And, you know, sometimes when you hear work a program, it seems overwhelming. And I'm here to say it's really not it's very step-by-step. Um, it's at your own pace. You don't, you don't feel like you haven't done enough. Um, so it's, it's, it's very warm and, um, and fun, but thoughtful, you know, a thoughtful thing to do. So well, let's just, as we wrap up, let me ask you, what is next for you? Well, I am starting to think about my next book, which I'm excited about, and I'm not quite sure it, it might be for financial health for couples and helping people address financial communication and conflict resolution. But I, my literary agent suggested that I write a book on boundaries, and that sounds really exciting too. Uh, I do a lot of corporate speaking and keynote speaking, and I love doing that. So I, I love sharing my message and I have a new digital course. I'd like to do more of that type of work. And personally, I'd like to have more time for self-care. I love yoga and um, I'm about to become an empty nester. So kind of shifting some of my energy and, and devoting a li- little more to myself. Isn't that fun? Isn't that great? You know, and very exciting about a book. And gosh, we, again, I feel like life is, you know, it is a practice, right? Setting boundaries, also a practice, you know, how you do it, um, when you do it, what, which boundaries apply for what situations, that will be a, another fun read for sure. So Joyce, I just, you know, it's so much fun talking to you. And, you know, I just, this is a, this is a touchy subject and you make it seem so approachable and so doable. And again, I just am so grateful that you're here and thank you for talking to me and really for our whole audience. And, you know, where can our listeners find you? Uh, You know, when when I'm sure they want more of you. So tell me where, where should they go? Thank you so much, Tama. You're making me blush and I feel all warm and fuzzy. Thank you so much. My website is joycemartyr.com. J-O-Y-C-E-M-A-R-T-E-R.com. I'm on all the social media and my book is on Amazon. It's in Barnes and Noble. It's on Kindle. It's on Audible. It's even in Spanish and it'll come out in Korean and Chinese later this year. So I'm excited for that and would love to connect and and be of service. And I need Instagram love. So (laughs) Anyone who's All right. really, it's tough. Okay. Everyone, Instagram love. Okay. We need that. Make sure everyone follows Joyce on Instagram. There you have it. So let's put it out in the world and make it happen. So finally, I just want to remind all of our 
listeners that uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, please submit your ideas and questions and thoughts using the link below, which is also located in our Instagram. So while you're on Instagram doing that, just pop over to Joyce. And again, thank you so much for being here. And remember, Joyce would say this too, you have the power to set the tone of your life. Thank you. Visit ToneNetworks.com for more content like this and stay tuned for next week's episode of Have You Had This Conversation?